Hi everyone and welcome to the Parma podcast. Um, I'm James Prescott, your host. It's really great to be with you all again. I'm really excited this week. Um, I have a lot of great guests on this show, but today I'm, uh, yeah, one of my biggest, um, I don't want to say heroes, but inspirations. Um, Austin Shannon Brown is here. Welcome to the show, Austin. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for that delightful intro. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, yeah, Austin is um, an author and a speaker and um, uh, and an activist as well, and she's done a lot of great work um, fighting racism in the US in particular. And uh, she's just written her first book, um, I'm Still Here, um, which is uh, I've just been reading, and was um, inspiring but also very challenging and discomforting um, as well and we'll talk about that in a minute but um, yeah so yeah welcome <laughs> I really appreciate it um, I wanted to say the first thing I wanted to say actually was um, and I wanted to own this completely that that yeah I'm a I'm a white man I'm a white male so my perspective on this on the subjects we're going to be talking about is probably limited and that there's probably a lot of things there's probably a lot of inbuilt bias that I have without even knowing it you know Um, because you know I'm passionate about equality and um, diversity and inclusion and all of those things and and Mm -hmm. advocate for those things but that doesn't mean I won't have any inbuilt biases um, right. I'm not even aware of. You know. Right, right, right. Um, so, if I say anything that's out of turn, I apologise. And but I also want to come into this from, with an attitude of learning. I think, like, um, because um, I don't know. You know, I can only know what I read from other people's experiences. And so, I think that's the same for true of all kind of white people, like on this subject is that we only know what other people can tell us we we have lots of inbuilt biases so yeah um, and I think that's why conversations like the one we're about to have are so important you know because these we're modeling how to do this you know how to talk about race exactly yeah yeah Yeah. um and it's the first time I've really talked about race on my on my podcast as well oh is it okay Um, I've, I've wanted to talk about it before now I've talked about um, gender equality and um, mm-hmm. LGBT equality and all of that. Mm-hmm. I've never had a chance to talk about racial equality before. So, um, okay, well, I'm so, honoured to be the first. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. I'm excited. Um, so, the book, um, it's very much your story. Um, but when I read it, it kind of, I felt it was kind of shining a light on a lot of, a lot of, issues that have been there for a long time and people just haven't known about um yeah and there's a few stories from what i want to do today is go there's a few stories in the book which really kind of stood out for me um which i want to kind of look at and what you know the issues behind those stories and what they brought up for me and um the first one was the one at the beginning the job interview yeah um, so just just tell us tell us that story and sure and, yeah. sure so um, 
So my name is Austin, which um, most people assume <laughs> is going to mean a white male is going to walk into the room. <laughs> yeah. And people get a little surprised to find that I am not, in fact, <laughs> a white male, but a black woman. Um, I'm so sorry. Baby, can you please play with your toys? So I always plan these podcast interviews in his room with his toys all around the floor. And, of course, all he wants to do is sit and play with, like, the drawstrings on my pants. <laughs> like, baby, can you please play with your toys? <laughs> Here, just play with your toys. He's like, whatever, Mom. <laughs> um, so, starting over. Um, so, my, my name is Austin, and uh, people often assume that I'm going to be a white man if they've only read my name, right? If they've never seen a picture of me or heard my voice. Um, and so it's very common when I walk into an interview in particular for people to be very surprised because whether we want to admit it or not, <laughs> we do read resumes and cover letters and sort of try and imagine the person in our heads. And so when I walk into an interview, it usually starts when I'm like sitting outside first. Cause you know, somebody usually has to come get you and bring you into the room. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> the hesitation of people's faces. They're like, um, are you Austin? <laughs> They're like, um, can I help you with something? <laughs> like, yes, I'm your next candidate. <laughs> like, um, and then when I actually walk into the room, um, particularly when it's like a group interview, people all without fail, the dance is the same every single time. They look at each other, they look down at my resume, and then they look back up at me <laughs> because they're like did you think this was coming? Like, did you see this coming? <laughs> and then they're like looking at the resume, like, should I have been able to figure this out? Like, was there something here that would have clued me into <laughs> what to expect? And then there's like the recovery, right? Where they're like, yeah. hey, yeah. welcome. You know? Yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah. But there is there is a dance that happens, and I just know it's coming. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah that kind of opened my eyes a little bit, like because it's just it's just a job interview, and it's just a, it's like a you know, and we 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 have job in, I mean like we have job interviews all the time, and it's like a like a normal everyday thing. And yeah, and I think we're so used to being able to figure out who the person is just based on a name. Mm. Um, and, and, and I think it's the double whammy. So I think the recovery would be faster if I was white, but was a woman or if I was, you know what I mean? If yeah. I was a man, but I was black, but I think because I am nothing <laughs> like what they expected. Yeah. I think there's like this moment when people are like, Oh, <laughs> welcome <laughs> yeah and that's kind of a symptom isn't it of like i don't want to call it institutional racism but it's it's kind of subcultural racism yeah yeah like i agree like it's almost unspoken it's like it's not yeah it's in our culture but it's not it's not overtly seen it's just under the surface all the time and we don't even realize it's there right. um, yeah yeah and i think um I think this is this is a really interesting predicament that a lot of black parents find themselves in when they're um, pregnant and beginning to think about names for their child. 
And I feel like there's these like two dominant, and I'm sure there's other experiences too, but I feel like there's two like, um, directions to go. And one direction is the super American name and an attempt to bypass discrimination. And, you know, Um, and, but then there's the opposite direction, right? There's the super black name (laughs) in hopes that the child will feel really confident and feel real, you know, and, and their culture and their ethnicity and know that their parents are proud of who they are. Um, but it's a, it's a real question that black parents often, um, struggle with and, and figuring out how to name their child. Yeah. See, we, yeah. See, people like me don't have any idea at all about these, you know, actually one of the stories in the book I remember was about, um, a metaphor somebody used in a school, in a lesson you had at school about washing hair. Yes, and I, I, yeah. I had no idea about that. That was a kind of yeah. Tell, tell <laughs> us, tell us, tell us a bit about that one. <laughs> yeah, so so particularly in like elementary school. I mean, it could happen otherwise too, but I think elementary school is like where this is more common. Um, when teachers are trying to make big complex ideas simple, right? And yeah. so they're using the right the language that. Um, is assumed to be universal, sort of a common denominator. And um, I remember one thing, um, I don't even remember what the teacher was talking about, but she was trying to get across the point that there was something we should be doing daily, something we should do like every day. And um, I don't know if it was like praying or like, who knows? I don't know what it was. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. but her, her metaphor for trying to like get us to understand what it means to do something daily was, um, you know, like how you wash your hair every day. Mm. And I remember sitting in that classroom thinking, I wash my hair every day. <laughs> like, and, and neither does any other black person in here, at least not black girl. I don't know, there could be some black guys who do it every day, I guess. But black women don't do that. Um, and I feel like there were just these um, references, right, that white teachers use assuming that we're all more similar than we actually are. And so I had to sit in a classroom pretty often and hear about things like sailing or skiing or references to hockey or, you know, like things that I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about, (laughs) you know? And so, um, so I'm doing the work of like translating someone else's experience in order to actually understand the lesson because it's not really my experience, right? And I feel like what you just said is so true that there's so much that I know about white folks because they do that, because they assume their experience is universal. And so little that white folks know about mine, right? I'm Mm. sure my teachers had no idea that black women not only do not wash their hair every day, but should not. (laughs) Like my hair would fall out if I washed it every single day and that would not be healthy for my hair. Um, but yeah, there, there are just certain things that, that white folks so often assume are universal experiences that aren't. Are there any others that, I mean, which are a bit more, not, I mean, I'm not talking about washing hair, but, but other experiences kind of more, I don't know, significant experiences that we would, that people assume, um, are universal, but maybe aren't. Yeah, I, um... I can't think of any other examples off the top of my head except for um, things that would marry, like, whiteness and um, class or, right, it's sort of like the marriage of these things. So that's when you get into, like, sailing and 
skiing and traveling, um, assuming that folks have all gone out of the country. Um, you know what I mean? Like things like mm. that, that you're just like, uh, nope. <laughs> like, I've, <laughs> I've never done those things. And some of them I don't want to do. <laughs> like, <laughs> going out of the country would be cool, but I don't feel a need to go skiing. Like I don't, <laughs> I'm completely uninterested. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, so I think that's often where, where the disconnect happens. Um, and then I think there are, um, like products, um, so, um, I think a lot of white people are surprised when they do find or do hear about like the ethnic hair care section mm-hmm. because they just assume that we're all using the same things. Right. Um, black folks typically don't use the, um, um, the little toiletries that hotels keep in, um, like on the bathroom shelves and things oh, right. because it's for, cause it's for white textured hair. Um, and we have a whole different product line for what our hair needs. Mm. Um, and so those products are always safe. I, I'm never going to touch the shampoo and conditioner and sometimes not even the lotion. Because sometimes the lotion, too, is just not what is necessary. For... So there are lots of things that I feel like white folks are often just completely unaware of um, that black folks have, like, special things. Like there was this really funny thing on YouTube where a white woman uh, was talking about having discovered cocoa butter. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I can't believe nobody told me about the butters. Like it's so creamy and so luxurious. And why didn't anybody tell me about the butters? And black <laughs> folks are like, how do you not know about cocoa butter? Like that's <laughs> such a part of our experience, you know? Mm. So I think there are things like that that are just normal for us, but yeah, white folks aren't necessarily aware that those things exist. Mm. Yeah. Now the other, another story was, um, the story about your school teacher, um, who realized what they would do. They, I think they made a, a class plan or something, a seating plan. And they put you next to, oh, basically they were they were kind of judging judging where you were sitting based on your color. Um, yeah, so this kind of goes back to our conversation about the jobs and applications, right? Yeah. So so this teacher, like many teachers, created a seating chart at the beginning of every semester, right, when her her classes would change over, and we just happened to be a class that she had all year, so we had her for both semesters. Yeah. And, um, and we walked in at the beginning of the second semester and she told us that we could choose our seats, that she wasn't going to use the seating chart. And we were like, Oh, okay. Like that feels special. <laughs> like in a classroom where you haven't been able to decide mm. uh, where to sit and now you can. Um, and so once we all got settled, she said, you know, I have something I want to share with you all. Um, I need to make a confession. She said, I, um, you know, have been making seating charts. Y'all know that. And she said, but I realized that what I was doing was racist because I had two black girls in in a new class, um, two black girls who ended up sitting next to each other. And she said, my first thought when I realized that they were sitting next to each other was, oh, God, they're going to talk for the entire class period. They're going to be so disrespectful. They're not going to pay attention. They're just going to be playing and, you know, and she had to interrupt that her own thought and was like, I don't ever think that about my white students. 
<laughs> she was like, I never, I never think that about why do I think that just right. And so she like had this aha moment that she wasn't just like arbitrarily using a seating chart. <laughs> she was using a seating chart to try to make sure that she could separate students of color whom she assumed would be disrespectful if they sat next to each other. Mm. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> but yeah, that was, it was a big, it was a really, um, it was, it was a really big surprise. I, I feel like she could have one, not told us, mm. right. She could have just not said anything and just let us choose our own seats and never confessed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And two, I feel like she could have had that thought, ignored it, and just kept doing what she was doing. Yeah. You know? And so on some level, it was actually, even though it made me uncomfortable, it was in a way helpful um, to hear that a teacher struggled with those biases, could recognize the bias, Mm. and then could do something about it. Like, instead of continuing to make seating charts and pretend that she wasn't trying to figure out who students were based on their names. Um, she was like, you know what? I'm just going to stop doing this and I'm just going to let students sit where they want to sit. Um, and so it was, it was both beautiful and complicated, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. I did sit there and think, man, like, like my first thought was, did she think that about me? Like, did she think that I would be disrespectful? Like I'm a black girl. Like did she, when I walked into the room, what did she think about me? And now do I have to be exceptional to show her that I'm not that or, you know, like it just it just brought Mm. up a lot of questions for me, even though I was happy that she confessed. You know, it was it was complicated for sure. Yeah. 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 And all those questions that come up, you know, it's that shouldn't have to come up, you know, that, you know, like and having to think you've got to prove yourself more right because of your the color of your skin you know and it's like that's and then it made me wonder like are other teachers doing this that's why other teachers have a seating you know like it just kind of keeps going but then you gotta like do your homework you know like you gotta just yeah it's 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 a weird experience to like constantly be processing race but also have to participate in the daily expectations right to yes. still have to learn yeah. the lesson and ace the test and you know yeah. but to have all this other stuff in the back of your mind too yeah it's just and again it's like what we said before it's the it's kind of the sub the kind of unspoken subculture thing right you know, that we don't even realize that we're doing it and it's like it's just or maybe we we don't realize why we're doing something right Right, right, right. And then the, the, the courage that it takes when you do realize it, right? When the, when you have that moment, you're like, oh, man, I can't believe I had that thought, you know? And that becomes the moment of courage where, where white folks have to decide what to do with that, you yeah. know? Yeah. And hopefully not just ignore it. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, I mean, that kind of brings me to, to the next story um, I wanted to talk about in the book. When this is the story that had the most impact on me. Um, yeah, it was the story about the visit to the the plantation um, and uh, and the museum, and you know what happened. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I t- just t- tell us that story, because obviously you'll tell it better than I will. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so when I was in college, I went on this three-day trip um, to the South um, where we talked about black history by going to black history museums and just other markers of, of black history. And the way the trip worked was that um, there were about 40 students, and each student was paired up, so that there was a white student and a black student who the idea was would sort of be conversation partners for the whole entire trip. Mm. Um, and, and so we started in Chicago and then the first stop, and you don't know where you're going on this trip. So you sign up and all you know is that you're, you're going on a trip. That's all you know. You're going through the South, but that's it. (laughs) So we get to our first stop and they announced that the first stop is a plantation where we're going to learn about slavery And so all the black students sort of like steal themselves for what they expect will be sort of heartbreaking and, you know, kind of painful, but also um, inspiring and, you know, a chance to be proud of what our ancestors made it through. And the tour guides start talking and and we walk through like the first um, what really is a shack um, that that those who were enslaved lived in. And and she points to a trough like a feeding trough that's just laying in the middle of the shack. Mm -hmm. And she says, the slaves, she says something like the slaves were so um, ingenious that they used this trough both for their food and for a cradle in order to like keep their baby safe at night. Um, Isn't that amazing? And, Mm. and I thought is like, is, are we joking? Like, I was like, is, mm. like, is she kidding? Is she being sarcastic? Like, what is happening right now? And, 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 and then she started talking about, um, like, the longer the tour went, um, we were told how happy the slaves were. We were told about um, how they joyously sang songs in the fields as they worked. Um, I remember at one point, a black student was just trying to like bring some kind of like truthfulness to this narrative. And she said, well, did the slaves, um, did they ever like hurt themselves? Right. Like you're talking about how happy they were, but, but, but did they ever, ever hurt themselves as they were like out in the fields picking cotton? And she was like, Oh no, they were experts. So they knew exactly how to pick the cotton without getting themselves hurt. And we just were like incredulous. <laughs> like, yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> like that's not that is not possible. I don't understand no. what's happening right now. And it was it was brutal. Um mm-hmm. and it got to be so bad that by the end of because you could feel the tension escalating um as the tour guys just continued to be completely blind to mm-hmm. why the black students were so angry. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of that, the white students are just trying to figure out what's happening. Right? They're like, I don't understand why yeah. are why why is my conversation partner so upset? <laughs> like, mm. It was it was a lot. There was a lot of emotion <laughs> happening on that plantation. And then they ended it by saying, "Now, if you guys would all like to go pick cotton, uh, you'd be more than welcome to take some home with you." And the black students had had it at that point. <laughs> Yeah, I cannot believe this is happening. I was like, I almost did a face palm when I read that, and I was like, (laughs) I was like, 
Yeah, okay, so so having talked about black people being slaves picking cotton, you're now going to send black people to go and pick cotton as a people. novelty. Right, <laughs> right. Know, it's like, like it's like this fun little thing that we're all going to go participate. Like I would have yeah. had more respect even if they had been like, we know that this is hard and a painful experience if, but if you would like to connect with your ancestors like if that's if this is something that would feel you know like if they had put some context around it i still wouldn't have done it but i at least would have been like i, I understand what they're trying to say and give space to the fact that there maybe there were black people who wouldn't be offended by that right yeah but without any context <laughs> right like you just said it was just offensive because it was like like i love the words you used it was like a novelty as opposed to a really deep part of our history. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and then there was the reaction on the bus later. Like, I, I, I remember reading about a lot of white people trying to kind of excuse themselves or trying to kind of say, it wasn't me, it wasn't like I didn't do this, you know, and make, trying to make excuses, basically, for, like, what had happened and not it's getting true. it. It's true, it's true. And, and these are, like you know, 18, 19, 20 year old, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I want to, I want to give a little bit of grace here. Like it was a lot to take in yeah. on a three day bus trip. Yeah. <laughs> so by the time we all got back on the bus, um, the white students were like genuinely confused. They didn't, they just didn't know what to do <laughs> with what was happening. And, and, um, they really started with, um, like you said, like excuses. And I, I think what they were really doing was trying to just distance themselves um, from the reality, even though they got a romanticized version. It's still slavery, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so I think they were still trying to like distance themselves from the reality of American slavery. Um, so there was a lot of, you know, my family wasn't here during slavery and you know, like, mm. like that, those kinds of responses. Um, and just a general unwillingness to enter into the pain of that moment, you know, yeah. um, just, just, um, just really not ready to, to really go there and to really think about how slavery has impacted American history as opposed to just being about black history, mm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. And then there was one, but there was one person that got up on the, on the bus and said something. Um, and one of the one of the things they said was like that was the quote of the book. I I literally tweeted it out as soon as I read it, you know. And you replied to me actually uh, when I did. I did. I did. <laughs> um, and uh, it was uh, and actually I'll read the quote. I read yeah, what they said. Um, she said, um, "I don't know what to do with what I've learnt. I can't fix your pain and I can't take it away, but I can see it." And I can work for the rest of my life to make sure your children don't have to experience the pain of racism. And then she said nine words that you hadn't forgotten. And I haven't forgotten. Um, doing nothing is no longer an option for me. I mean, that, yeah, that quote is, yeah. that's the book, you know, for me. Yeah, like, absolutely. Um, I, um, and, and what continues to, to get me about that, so... So her, um, her leaning into the pain, right. And making that commitment, um, changed the entire, um, like feeling on the bus. Right. So all that tension, all that animosity, all that, um, posturing and, you know, sort of retreating into our corners, um, 
that's all it took for like, you could almost like feel a breeze come through the bus. Um, it was really, it was just a really beautiful moment, but I do remember sitting there thinking me too. Like as much as I appreciated that she was committing to herself, I felt like that's how I feel too. Like doing nothing is just no longer an option for me. I have to do something about this. Um, and so, yeah, and and she and I are still really good friends to this day. She's one of my best friends. Oh, really? Oh, wow, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is, oh, wow, that's, oh, that's fantastic. That is fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, that, when I read that, I was like, I, I kind of owned it myself. I had, it was like, I found myself like, I, I, I have to do something. I can't not do anything anymore you know yeah um, yeah i have to start confronting this in myself i have to start doing what i can do you know however small that is you know yep um, yep yeah um even now thinking about it it's you know it's it's just uh, it's a, such a powerful line um, I, I love that. And I, and I feel like there's, I feel like there's so many white folks who are either ready to make that statement, right. Or have their own sort of aha moment similar to that. Right. And so that's why I included it in the book. Um, because I really wanted to make clear that these aha moments are happening, you know, and, mm. and to be able to make a commitment, to be able to give it a mantra, you know, like doing mm. nothing is no longer an option for me. Um, just felt really important to me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you, I'm really glad you shared that. I mean, it's a, it's a such a powerful book. Um, yeah. Once I started reading, I couldn't really stop, you know. Oh, um, I so appreciate that. I really do. Um, yeah, I think it's just a, such an important book as well. I think it's going to it's going to make a big difference to a lot of people. It's going to change perceptions, you know, um, this book and spark people into action. Um, okay, so one of the things that I found reading the book is just how much white privilege I have, just how little I know, and one of the it's one of the things I wanted to be conscious of doing this interview is was that and that, you know that. That I have things to learn, um, uh-huh. and I'm sure there's a lot of other people like me, like white white people, um, probably not through our own fault, kind of maybe a bit ignorant of our own privilege. Uh-huh. Um, what do you th- what what kind of things would you recommend to people who people like me who who kind of want to kind of open our eyes and know we have a lot to learn and know that we need to kind of get educated. Sure. And um, understand more about your story. Sure. Um, what kind of things would you recommend to people like me? Who? Um, yeah. What resources? And what practical things as well? Yeah. So I think that um, a lot of white people, in order to educate themselves, often jump to friendship. Right. So they look Mm. for a person of color (laughs) that Mm. they know um, in hopes that that person will sort of guide them through (laughs) race conversations. Um, Mm. And that can get tricky. Right. I think there are places where um, that can be helpful and beneficial for both parties. Mm. Um, But let's say um, the only person of color, you know, is your coworker. Mm. Right. And so you go to work and all of a sudden this this coworker who has a completely different job to do <laughs> during the day is spending their lunch period answering your questions about race. 
right? Mm. Like that's yeah. a tough position yeah. to put a person of color in, you know? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So my suggestion is before jumping to friendship, right, um, to try practice being uncomfortable um, in spaces where a person of color isn't as impacted, so, um, reading books that make you really uncomfortable, <laughs> you know, mm. um, reading books by James Baldwin and James Cone and Tanasi Coates and, mm. um, you know, books, books about slavery, books about the middle passage, books about, um, segregation, you know, mm. um, and to really practice sitting in a space where you want to throw the book across the room. You know, because mm, yeah. you're so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Or you're so angry or you're so mournful or, you know. Um, but I think it's really healthy. I think that white folks don't often experience discomfort, quite frankly. Um, and so I think practicing by yourself <laughs> in a room by yourself is a great place to start. Um, and then I would say to begin attending conferences or workshops, or to take like an African American history course or Mexican American history course um, at like the community college, or um, now there are even you know free online you know um, um, college courses that you can take. Um, but I think submitting yourself it under you know someone who's going to kind of force you <laughs> to reckon you know, with, mm. with history to reckon with racial injustice, um, who's going to be grading your paper, who's going to, you know, give you the test, who's going to, um, you know, really challenge your thinking. Um, and there are so many, there are so many courses and conferences and workshops, um, that are being held all over the country, you know? Um, and, um, mm. You know, it's just, the, and, and I think the internet has made those things more easily accessible. Yeah. You know, so even if you can't attend in person, so often they're streaming, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so I would say to really be purposeful about educating yourself. Um, and I would say then, once you are in spaces where there are other people of color at those conferences and things like that, um, and after you've listened for a while, after you've learned for a while, um, then to begin to form relationships with people of color. Um, and I think white people will find that it's much easier that way, honestly, because you'll have other things in common, right? It won't be you just seeking someone out and sort of kind of using them, quite honestly. Um, it will be, you know, it will be that you're in the same book club because you both loved Tanasi Coates' book. You know, yeah, I mean? like, absolutely. you know, like you'll have some connection yeah. um, already with one another. And that way you're coming into a mutual relationship um, as opposed to a person of color being sought out just for their um, racial experience. Yeah, like the token. The token. Right. Black. Like, does that it say, just doesn't feel good. Isn't there that movie? Know? There's that movie. I think it's, I think it's called Epic Movie or something. It's like this comedy parody movie. And there's a character in it called the Token Black Guy. <laughs> Literally, I'm not joking. I'll have to go find it. Literally, I mean, it's it's it's, it's quite racy. It's a bit rude, but um, yeah, um, I think it's produced by black people. I think, I think. I don't oh, know. I have to go find it. But it's but it's, it's but yeah, that's. But um, I mean, to be honest, in seriousness, so the, the the one of the film. I mean, I'm I'm really into my films and. Um, 
what the, the, I think the bigger the film that challenged me most on my white privilege was uh-huh. um, Twelve Years a Slave. Yes. That was like, oh, that was I'm very. I'm so glad you said that because there are so many movies from documentaries to those that are based on a true story. You know, mm. those that were purposefully created um, to inspire conversation. So I'm glad you added that. I think I think movies are a great way mm. to also connect and to start inviting that emotion, you know, and that discomfort. Mm. Um, and still be learning. Yeah, and even Black Panther this year, I mean, I'm a comic book movie fan anyway, but to have a movie where, a comic book movie where the lead character and the, the hero yes. is African, you know. Yes. Um, I, I mean, pretty much the whole cast is African. Like, there's, I think there's one white white character in the movie. <laughs> right. Like, I think that's Martin Freeman. Um, and it does tackle a lot of those issues, and it's, it's actually, yeah. yeah, I mean, I love that movie. Oh, it's uh, so well done, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. One of my favorites. It's a beautiful movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, so yeah. There's loads of loads of loads of resources around. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really important, you know. Um, even more so now, I think, with what's happening in America with the, you know, with those children being separated from their oh, mothers, man. and it's like just awful. Like you know. Oh, it's so angry. terrible. And this yeah. is why I am always, always, always harping on us knowing our own history because we keep repeating it. Mm. <laughs> you know, mm. we separated families during, you know, Japanese internment. We did it during slavery. We did it during indigenous genocide. Like, we just keep repeating history and making it seem like this is new. It's not new. No. we got to stop doing that. And they're still justifying it through the Bible as well. Through the Bible. I through the that. same it's passages. Like, it feels like we're How in the, 18, it's like the 1800s or something again. Right. Have we learned nothing? You know? Have we learned nothing? <laughs> yes. Totally, totally agree. Um, um, and... Uh, you know, until we begin to reckon with history um, and choose not to repeat it, you know, otherwise mm. this is just going to keep happening over and over again. And we're living that right now here in America, for sure. Yeah. And we're seeing it over, over here. And I think all of us are shocked, just yeah. disbelief. Yeah. Because I'm glad you're shocked. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm glad. I mean, it's like it's like the Nazi. It's like the concentration camps in the Second World War. It's like it's frightening. It's, it's absolutely terrifying me. It's, it's absolutely so terrifying me. And I actually tweeted about a photo of these camps because yes. I was so upset about it. And one of the responses was, um, um, I think it was. He said. But this guy said to me, "Oh, well, maybe they should just go back to the country where they where they're from and." Not not come where they're not welcome, and I was like, I didn't I didn't respond to him because I would have I would have I would have said something really horrible. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I was so angry, and I was like, you don't even want to know what I'm thinking right now. (laughs) Um, But that's what's terrifying too, right? Is that there are people who are unbothered, yeah, and really think that the answer is we'll just go live in terror where you're from. Yeah, like that can't be our response, especially those of us who who claim to love Christ. You know, mm. like I just don't, I do not understand. You you 
worship a god who was a refugee. Like, this makes no sense yeah, yeah, It me. is literally anti-Christ what they are doing. Right! You can't I, get I any more anti-Christ than that. It's like, and you know... And I have I have friends I have lots of American friends and yeah. um, some of the and they're all good people. Some of uh-huh. them voted for Donald Trump. I don't know what they think now. Yeah, you know I, I can't think they would still support him after after that. But you know, but if they do, I don't know what I'm gonna. I have to. I'd have to think about. Well, yeah, are you really 100%. my friend at all? Yeah. Like, if, if you think that's okay to do that? Like, it's a human being. Uh-huh. Man. It's very difficult. <laughs> I haven't it's asked difficult. them yet. That's I haven't posted anything on Facebook, which is where most of my friend friends are. Sure, you know, sure. Because I I don't want to I don't want to know almost in a way. <laughs> I, I believe that. I it's believe like, that. It scares and, you know, me. You know? I think I think that's real for a lot of white folks when it, when it, particularly when it comes to like race and racial injustice, mm. uh, I think like all of us who experience privilege have that on some level or another. Right. So I don't think it's mm. like just white people, but for this conversation, yeah. um, you know, I think that's one of the things that's so hard because once you become passionate about racial justice or you're willing to take a stand on any one issue, then what do you do, right? What do you do with the family mm. members who, like, adamantly disagree or the friends who, you know, mm. like, that's... Those yeah. are hard conversations, and it, and it I, is putting relationships at risk. Yeah, I mean, I took a stand on mental health mm-hmm. uh, on my Facebook page the other, the other week because I I have mental health issues, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I'm, I've done a lot of advocacy for it. Sure. Um, in writing and, and podcasts and stuff like that. I've done a lot of stuff. Um, and I saw this pastor tweeting that people can, these people commit, committed suicide because they're not connected to God, you know, and I was like, I just, I, I don't know what, I just was, I just, that was it for me. I just wrote yeah. something and it was, it was emotional and it was passionate. It wasn't, right. it wasn't unkind or cool right. or right. just right. anger. It was, but people kind of took it the wrong, <laughs> well, some people kind of like, oh, we're concerned about you because... You know, you you were a bit upset on Facebook, and I was like, "Yeah, I was," because it's a big oh, issue. You know, gosh. like, do you understand why I was upset? You know, right. it's, it's like it's you know, if, you know. Um, but I, the weird thing is, I got like over a hundred comments on that on that post. Oh. <laughs> I got like I, got, I lost count in the end. I was like getting notifications every. 10 seconds every minute or so. Wow, you <laughs> like, struck a nerve with people. I did, yeah. Wow. <laughs> and um, people were, some, most people agreed with me. Some right. didn't. Some thought, oh, you're being a bit cruel and you don't understand. And, you know, I've been healed of mental illness and stuff. <laughs> and people were like, yeah, well, that's good for you. It doesn't happen to everybody. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's no, no, really funny. It's, no, you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. right. Like that's um, great for you, but that's not how it works for everybody. Yeah, you know, yeah. and so there's a lot of ignorance out there, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but I mean, your book is is really, really, I think is a really important part of that conversation on race. Oh, I'm so I think, glad. It was helpful for me. Uh, it was uncomfortable for me to read mm-hmm. some of it. But in a good way, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, it's because yeah, you need to hear those things. If you need to hear the truth, you know, we need to, we need to hear right. what's really happening. We can't hide from it. So, uh, 
Yeah, so thank you for writing the book. Oh, thank you for reading it. Nice, my pleasure. And it's done very well so far, I've heard as well. It has. I really can't believe it, honestly. I did not think a book that starts with white people can be exhausting was going to be popular. Who knew? Chelsea Clinton didn't print tweet it, didn't she? I know. Tweeted about it. I remember it's I saw amazing. that. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> That's pretty cool when Chelsea Clinton it's tweets really about it. It's really cool. <laughs> uh, it was a big surprise, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so kind of just to close, what's what's your kind of biggest hope for the book? Mm-hmm. And what what do you want the book to, to achieve? Yeah, know? there's um Two things that I set out to do um, with the book, and then a third that's sort of like is still slowly coming to me, you know, <laughs> even as the book is already out, you know. Yeah. Um, so the first is I really wanted to affirm the experiences of people of color who are like me, you know, who mm-hmm. grew up in, in predominantly white spaces or are in a predominantly white space for work or something. Mm-hmm. Um, because it can be really hard, it can be really isolating, and, and it's easy to feel alone, you know, to feel like you're the only one experiencing it. And so my, my first thing with the book was just that people of color who read it know that they're not by themselves, you know, and that they can celebrate the fact that they're still here too, you know? Mm. Um, and then I wasn't, you know, oblivious to the fact that there would, there would be some white people who would read it. Um, and so my hope for them is that they would be able to sort of take the next step, right? My assumption going into this book was that white people who picked it up would already be committed to racial justice, you know, would mm. already be learning, you know, like yourself, and um, and that this would sort of be like, you know, step number two, right? Like, mm, yeah. I'm already committed, and, and now, now I can see things clearer, now I can see myself clearer. Now I have some new things to work on. So that was really my hope um, for, for white folks who read the book. And I think, truthfully, what I am learning and trying to wrap my own mind around is um, celebrating um, blackness was in the book was really important to me. Um, but I'm, I think I'm realizing that it's important that the celebration of blackness or the celebration of people of color um, is important in the racial justice conversation period, Mm. you know? And Mm. I think, I think we have gotten so um, focused on talking about like white privilege, white guilt, white fragility, white supremacy. Right. And we need to talk about all of those things, but I don't want us to do so to the exclusion of talking about um, the language of people of color and the dress of people of color and the art of people of color and the beauty of people of color and right, like to celebrate um, culture, to celebrate ethnicity, to celebrate um, race, Mm. (laughs) like to celebrate it um, while we still continue to, to name how, um, how whiteness that isn't interrogating itself can still be destructive. Right. Mm. Um, so that's something that I'm just like still twirling around in my head. But, um, yeah, if I had to, if I had to nail it down to three things, those would be the three. That's fantastic. That's really fantastic. 
Um, and I want to recommend the book to everyone. It's called I'm Still Here. It's um, anywhere you want to buy, anywhere you buy books, it's there. Just go get it. As recommended by Chelsea Clinton as well. Um, Just FYI. <laughs> yeah, President's daughter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, and thank you for coming on today and sharing. It's uh, it's been really uh, inspiring. Yeah. Oh, it's been my pleasure, and thank you for all the support you have shown, especially via the Twitters. Yes. Oh, <laughs> it's yes. really fun being Twitter friends. Yes, I love that. I love being Twitter. I've got loads of Twitter friends. Um, Twitter's the best. Twitter's the best. Me too. I love um, them. I absolutely love it. Yeah, fantastic. So, um, and where can people find more of your work, and where can they find you on Twitter? Yeah, so Twitter is at Austin Channing, um, and so is Instagram. And then on Facebook, it's my whole name. So it's Austin Channing Brown. Hmm. Cool. So you can find out more about Austin's work there. Um, and she has a website as well, which is austinchanningbrown.com. Oh, austinchanning.com. Yep. Yeah. Thanks. Austinchanning.com. Yep. Great. Awesome. So go and check that out. And um, thanks for listening. And uh, take care, everyone. And we will talk soon.